0: All right, well, today I'm doing something very, very different for the sermon. Uh, I've never done anything like this before, and I will probably never do anything like this again, which actually sets up a win-win scenario, meaning if today goes really, really well, it will be like a spin doctor's song. Talk about throwback. It'll be a one-hit wonder, okay? Some of you have no idea who the spin doctors are. There's a reason for that, all right? They only had one hit, all right? So this will be a one-hit wonder today. If today is an absolute flop... We will know we never have to endure this ever again, all right? So you can leave here with joy of like, okay, that's done. Aaron will never try that uh, ever, ever again on a Sunday. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to uh, continue in Colossians. So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read our passage here in just a little bit. But as you open to Colossians, I I want to give a disclaimer and an invitation, all right? First, the disclaimer. Uh, This centered series is all about the book of Colossians. We're studying the book of Colossians because in there the Apostle Paul teaches us how to live a Jesus-centered life. That's why the series is called Centered. But Paul wrote the letter to Jesus' followers. And so that means that the way today's sermon is structured, it's going to be directed at people who follow Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus then you really need to lean in and listen well because you're going to learn something very key and crucial to the Christian faith. And, and today could be a really big like, step for you theologically in understanding God's heart for you and what was done for you through the cross and the empty tomb. Now, if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, I want you first to know we're glad you're here. You, may, you might not believe this, but we actually started Riverwood Church for you When we started Riverwood, we did not have a goal of trying to just steal Christians from other churches and have something nice for ourselves. We had a dream to help people just like you who feel maybe spiritually disconnected from God to find God through Jesus and to begin to follow Christ. And so I'm glad you're here. But just because today's sermon is going to be directed at those who already follow Jesus doesn't mean you should check out or if you're online, you know, log off or turn off the podcast right now. Instead, I'm going to invite you to also lean in and listen. Because when the day comes, you realize that this gospel is true, you put your faith in Jesus, by having listened to this and learned some of this, you'll be a little farther ahead than if you hadn't heard this. In fact, if you really understand the concepts that we're going to see from Colossians 2, 8 through 15, and you begin to absorb it, you will already be farther along than some people who would claim they've been Christians for a long time. So, Please listen in, but to be fair, I just want you to know this is aimed at people who already follow Jesus. So that's the disclaimer. The invitation. Today, I invite you to use your imagination. All right. Some of this is because the kids are with us. Kids, you guys are great at using your imagination. You probably are going to need to teach us adults how to get back to using our imagination. We really need to have a throwback to get back to how to use that imagination. What I want you to imagine is that you are in a courtroom. Now, kids, if you don't know what a courtroom looks like, this is kind of what it looks like. Right there in the back in the center is what is called the bench, Sitting right in the center is where the judge usually sits. Over there on the side, on the left side, you see that's the jury box. And then you see these tables kind of here in the center. One of those tables is usually where your defendant will sit and that the other is where the prosecution sits. So kids, the prosecution is the group that says that this person committed a crime, and so they need to prove, they're going to bring evidence and witness testimony, people who maybe saw it, to try to say, this person is guilty of this crime. But the defendant who's accused of the crime, they have a lawyer called their defense attorney, and the defense is trying to prove their innocence, how they didn't actually do it. Now, here's where your imagination needs to go even a step further. Today, I need you not just imagine you're in that room. I need you to imagine that you are sitting at the defense table. You today are the defendant. Now, I can't bring direct evidence against you because it's impossible for this number of people, the, the wide variety of people that are here, for me to get really, really specific. That's why your imagination is going to have to fill in the gaps. As I talk in general terms of our crimes, you're going to have to fill in the gaps of your specific sins. But if you do so, I think today is going to really help you understand what all Christ did for us through the cross. So please, I invite you today, use your imagination and you will get the most out of this. All right, so with that said, let's read from Colossians 2, 8 through 15. You know what? Let me, let me pray as we get ready to, to read Heavenly Father, uh, we are now coming to your scriptures. Um, it is my belief that you wrote this a long time ago through the Apostle Paul for a specific group of people living in the, the small town of Colossae to this brand new church to remind them of the gospel and, and to show them how to follow Jesus and live Jesus-centered lives. And yet, Lord, you've allowed these words to continue to resonate through time, it's impacted multiple cultures, multiple generations, and it's reaching us here today in 2022. So Father, I pray that you take my small little creative idea and you would use it for your glory and for the shaping and molding of these people into that image of Jesus, that they would understand, Jesus, what you did for them through a cross and an empty tomb, and this would really make an incredible positive impact upon their lives. So Father, would you teach us this morning? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Colossians 2, start in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all and authority in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of god who raises him who raised him from the dead and you him. Well, good morning, Your Honor. It is a privilege to stand before you today in your courtroom and these halls of justice. As lead attorney for the prosecution, I will prove to you beyond a shadow of doubt that the defendant seated here before you today has committed crimes worthy of the death penalty and that the only right and just decision by this court is that of guilty. So, if it would please the court, allow me to share the overwhelming evidence. First, Your Honor, I would like to enter into evidence Exhibit A, Colossians 2.8, which says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. However, despite these words, your honor, the defendant has not only fallen captive to false philosophies or empty deceit on numerous occasions, but has even engaged in spreading false philosophies and leading people into empty deceit. For instance... We have reliable witness testimony from family, friends, classmates, and co-workers that the defendant was engaged in the act of lying, a form of deceit. We have record from internet history and social media accounts that reveal the crime of believing in false philosophies. And we have corroborating evidence showing that the defendant has engaged in activities that are according to human tradition. Now, Your Honor... The defense might try to point out that in the original Greek, there is only one preposition, that being the word empty. And yet there are two nouns in this verse, being philosophy and deceit. Thus, they would claim that this proves that the empty deceit is merely a description of the philosophy of the original author. However, I would argue that the act of lying is evidence of a deeply believed philosophy that a person must protect their own reputation And that involves the world around them. We all know that such a self-focused philosophy and a view of the world is damaging in relationships. Not to mention damaging to the workplace, the classroom, and all of the institutions of our society. And so, Your Honor, for the protection of this world and to keep within the boundaries of justice, you must render a verdict of guilty. And the spiritual records... Make it clear that this verdict of guilt must come with a sentence of the death penalty. In the law book of Romans, the fifth chapter, section 12, it says that death spread to all men because all sinned. Therefore, the sin of ignoring Colossians 2 eight, your honor and falling for deceitful philosophies, they're not only empty, but dangerous for our society. And it is justification, therefore, for a guilty verdict and a rendering of death. But if it would please the court, I would like to offer into further evidence proof of the defendant's guilt. I would like to enter into the record Exhibit B. In the 10th verse of the second chapter of the written record known as Colossians, we read that someone who claims to be a Christian is supposed to have been filled with Christ. yet, Your Honor, we have damaging evidence that the defendant has acted in incredibly selfish ways, completely denying this supposed Christ-like way. We've already provided proof that the defendant has engaged in the act of lying. But witnesses can also give testimony to further patterns of selfishness, such as gossip, greed, lust, foolishness, unkind words, anger, rage, intolerance, and more. As the spiritual record says in the book of Galatians, section 5, parts 19 through 21, someone who claims to live a good life would never engage in, and I quote, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And yet, your honor, the defendant has committed multiple infractions of several of these. In fact, this supposed Jesus, who supposedly put much of the spiritual record in place, is quoted in section 5 of the Gospel of Matthew, in what legal scholars commonly refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, saying that if someone simply has murderous anger in their heart or mind, they are guilty of murder itself. Or if they lust after someone who's not their spouse, they're guilty of the very act of adultery. So, Your Honor... Even if we lacked hard evidence of the defendant's guilt, which we do not lack, we have the defendant's own testimony admitting to having these thoughts and emotions, which means he or she is still guilty, even if they try to claim to not engage in such activities outwardly. However, I am not finished, Your Honor. As I stated in my opening, the evidence is overwhelming. And so, before I rest my case, allow me to present one last piece of evidence. Exhibit C, showing the defendant's guilt. One more time, allow me to present from the written record of Colossians, this time from item number 14 of the second chapter. As you can read there, Your Honor, there's a phrase that mentions the defendant's record of debt. The defendant has committed so many atrocities that he or she has accumulated a spiritual debt that they will never be able to repay. Now, while there are some within the jury of culture who might argue that this is not worthy of death, might I point out that a person of such horrifying spiritual debt is not only spiritually bankrupt, but they are also a burden upon society emotionally and a burden upon the spiritual realm. And and so the kindest thing for this world and the spiritual realm is to eliminate this person, to show any sort of mercy your honor for a debt such as this denies those to whom the defendant owes. It would be a mockery for this court, to our society, to the spiritual realm, and to the very concept of justice if this debt were treated lightly. But even if, even if the debt could somehow manage to be forgiven and erased, we still have the evidence on record proving the guilt of the defendant that is deserving of the death penalty. And so, Your Honor, On behalf of the prosecution and the Department of Righteousness and Sin, I submit this argument to you and the court, knowing full well you are a fair judge who will render justice by handing down a verdict of guilty and a sentence of death. The prosecution rests, Your Honor. Your Honor, uh, thank you for hearing me today. I am grateful for the opportunity to speak and present my client's case to you. I would like to begin by speaking to the prosecution, as well as to the audience of the court, the jury of culture, and for the spiritual record, that my client does not dispute the facts put into evidence by the prosecution. My client, if asked, would stand and declare his or her guilt to these charges. However, Your Honor, we have further evidence that justice has already been served And all wrongs have been righted despite the accusation otherwise put forward by the prosecution. And to begin my argument today, I would like to use the very same text that the prosecution used for their uh, argument. The legal representative on the other side of the aisle from me used three different sections from chapter 2 of the spiritual record of Colossians. However, he not only cherry-picked his way through the text, ignoring what is actually there, he also conveniently left off the most crucial aspect of the section. Prior courts and juries, as well as previous spiritual scholars and judges, have made note of how many times the original author points to Jesus, showing that this text is actually as much about Jesus as it is about my client, and I will prove even more so. The prosecution, as you heard in his case against my client, mentioned Jesus. However, He referred to Jesus as a myth, using the word supposed as a descriptor, casting doubt upon his very existence. And yet, the prosecution seemed to have no problem using a quote from Jesus for their own means. Now, while the court might entertain an idea from a quote by a fictional character, we all know that such quotes carry far more weight when said by a real person of history. Well, the good news is that historical records indicate Jesus was a real human. And the record of Colossians used by the prosecution holds the same assumption. In the eight verses of the section the prosecution used in their accusations against my client, seven times the record says in him or with him. The him being referred to is none other than Jesus. Jesus. At the same time, my client is referred to in the passage only five times, and in four of those five instances, each mention of my client is connected to the person and work of Jesus. So what this means, your honor, is that this passage is truly more about Jesus and what he has done than it is about my client and what he or she has done. While the defense readily admits the guilt of the defendant, the spiritual record of Colossians clearly shows that their guilt has been dealt with. It has been erased, forgiven, canceled, and nullified because of the actions of Jesus through a cross and an empty tomb. Let me explain. In section 9 of that second chapter of the Colossian record, it says Jesus, while fully human, also held the fullness of Godhead within his person. This divinity is what allowed him then to be the head of all rule and authority, as recorded there in item 10. And so the wrongs of my client were ultimately against God, and as God, Jesus has the right to determine the outcome of my client. And what we see in this very record that the prosecution used for their argument is that Jesus, this son of God, has decided to fully forgive my client of his or her spiritual crimes by paying the penalty himself. And therefore, my client is accepted and in the clear. To prove this, let me first draw your attention to Defense Exhibit B, the 11th section of the second chapter of Colossians. Just as ancient Jews had to be physically circumcised in order to be spiritually accepted, the record shows that my client has been spiritually circumcised by Jesus, meaning my client is completely accepted by God. Next, I submit defense exhibit C, which shows that my client has been baptized with Christ, meaning that just as Jesus' body was put into a tomb after his death on the cross, The guilty, sinful part of my client's spiritual nature was buried with Jesus when he or she went down into the water. This means, in a sense, Your Honor, that my client has already suffered the death penalty. It's just that Jesus paid the the penalty physically for my client, satisfying justice, while my client suffered it spiritually. And so therefore, this means my client cannot be found guilty for spiritual crimes that have already been paid for. And that is why I draw your attention to defense exhibit D. The prosecution used a tiny portion from this particular text, but completely ignored what it is actually saying. Section 14 of the second chapter of the record of Colossians clearly states that the spiritual record of debt piled up by my client has been completely canceled. It was nailed to the cross. It's been set aside. So therefore, my client cannot be held responsible for a debt that no longer exists. And so, Your Honor, I may be a defense attorney, but I am as passionate about justice as you. However, in this case, justice has already been met. Jesus, who had the authority as God to decide whether to hold my client liable for his spiritual crimes against heaven, chose to pay the penalty himself. And therefore, he forgives my client of all wrongdoing, completely accepting the defendant, freeing him of all his sanctions and retribution. So therefore, your honor, if it would please the court, I ask that you render a verdict of not guilty so that my client does not have to pay what has already been paid. The defense rests, your honor. So if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you now understand why Paul starts this section off saying, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Because in Paul's mind, through the cross of Jesus, you are completely forgiven. Your heart has been circumcised, so you've now been accepted by God. If you've been baptized, you identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You're saying that's what it's all about for you. Your spiritual debt has been completely erased. Like at the deepest fundamental part of who you are, everything's changed. And so why would you go back to spiritual philosophies, to political arguments, to to the ways that culture tries to teach us and tell us here's how to think, here's how to behave and allow it to pull us away from Jesus. Because Jesus gave everything for you. Now he asks that you give everything to him. And, And so as we get ready to move into our time of communion, if you realize you have been getting caught up in these different philosophies It's causing division within the home, against coworkers, against classmates. It's pulling you away from Christ, the one who died for you, gave himself willingly for you. May this time of of communion be a time of confession, a chance for you to confess how you've allowed these other things to come and be put in place of Jesus. But whether you need to spend this time in confession or not, I hope as we take these communion elements, it will be a moment of worship, a moment of thanksgiving, that you will be able to thank Jesus for circumcising your heart, to thank him for setting aside your spiritual debt, for going and dying your death, paying the penalty you should have paid for your sin. And, and as you take that communion, you would be reminded that you are in him and with him. As you allow those elements to come into you, as you take that bread, that wafer, realizing that represents the body of Christ, as you take that cup, that juice, that represents the blood of Christ. As this comes into you, may you realize that you are now in him. So you are not alone. And definitely you should not be going off to these other things. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, then I want to give you another invitation. I invite you today to put your faith fully in Christ. Because even though maybe on a physical level, you don't deserve the death penalty, on the spiritual level, you do. The scriptures teach that all have sinned. And sin brings death. The penalty for our sin is death. It's just that God loves you so much, he doesn't want you to pay it. That is why Jesus came to take it for you. And by doing so, by giving himself for you, he can begin to then take away your debt. He can begin to circumcise your heart and make you accepted by God. He can begin to help you identify with Christ and completely change you at the deepest part of your life. Most people, when they realize the truth of this gospel, they, they mark the moment in prayer. They often find themselves wanting to confess their sin, realizing Jesus died for their sin. But then they go on to say that, Jesus, because you gave your life for me, I want to now give my life to you. I want to follow you. I want to start to become like you. If, if that's you today, then during this moment of communion, rather than sometime during the song, get up and go to these elements, I'm going to just ask you to stay where you're at and pray. You just have a conversation with God. If this is all true, may you give your life to him. But if you are a follower of Jesus, may you come, come to these elements, come and worship the one who gave himself for you, circumcised your heart, you've been baptized into him, that that you are made alive in Christ, that you would realize that you are in him And with him. So as we sing, may you pray, may you confess, may you worship, may you thank him, and may we do this in remembrance of him.